it's Christmas time. Well, it's almost Christmas time. Where have we um, officially stepped into the Christmas season? Would you agree so? Okay, so basically, I want you to talk to the person next to you and um, tell them what was your best Christmas present and your worst Christmas present as well. Okay, so my, um, my worst Christmas present, I was about to say an iPhone, but that, that wasn't true. You know, I just wanted to be controversial. But my worst Christmas present was actually, um, does anyone remember Blackberries? Okay. So basically, so I was kind of late to the party. So I inherited my mum's old Blackberry. And, you know, it was kind of when, like, people were slowly moving off to... Actually, no, there was a time when people were moving off from um, Blackberry to iPhone. But there was also a transitionary process where people had um, both a Blackberry and an iPhone. Do you remember those days? Or was it just my school? Okay, I went to a really middle-class school, so maybe that's why. <laughs> so they had, they, had two, they had two phones. But um, I finally got to jump on the... BBM vibe and the BBM wave, and I was so excited. But the thing about Blackberry is that, do you remember, like, they used to die a lot, and you used to, like, try to, like, smash your um, Blackberry to get it working, and then it will restart, and it was really annoying. Um, and I remember, um, I was like, okay, do you know what, for Christmas, I told my parents I want to get a new phone, a new phone, and they were like, oh, don't worry, we'll sort you out. So, I remember this day so vividly, because um, my little sister, um, got a new Android phone and it was like touchscreen and it looked so amazing. And when I saw her open it, I was so excited. I was like, okay, yes, yes. Oh, my parents have hooked me up. My parents have hooked me up. And then I opened mine and it's a new Blackberry. And I was just so distraught because I was like, what would make you think I want another Blackberry when I hate my Blackberry? They're like, well, you're always banging it. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, did, I didn't want this. And then um, my parents gave me a teaching about gratitude. Um, but that day I wasn't exercising gratitude at all. Um, but yeah, still to this day, that is my worst present. Mom and dad, I'm sorry if you listen to this, but I still love you. But yeah, what were you thinking? Okay, so I'm actually not going to speak about Christmas. I'm speaking about something completely um, different. But I want to start off with um, something that I was listening to. So my sister has put me on this new podcast. And this podcast, it was a group of people that were just talking. And they basically said, um, the subject was, what does it mean to be a true Christian? And the speakers on the podcast ranged from someone who's a youth leader to someone who's loosely affiliated with their Christian faith. And they were all asked um, three questions. And the first question was, would you openly share about your faith in an office environment? And some of them said yes, and some of them said no. Another question was, if a work, co colleague, was going to, if a work colleague was going through a tough time, would you offer prayer? Some said yes, and some said no. Um, someone said, I'll tell them I'll be praying for you, but I wouldn't actually pray for them then. How many of us have been there? Um, and the last question was, if a work colleague asks you um, on your stance on a controversial topic like sexuality, for example, and your view didn't align with the social norms because of your faith, would you say it? And all of them said that they would lie. And um, I just want us to take a brief break um, right now um, and to talk to the person next to you, and with those three questions, what would you do? And there's no judgment, but it's just, um, and I know we're going to go into our cruise later on about it, um, but to just really, to talk about like where you kind of like stand and all these different 
um, places and what would you do if you're put in that particular scenario? And perhaps you're in this room and you're not a Christian. If the person is a Christian next to you, ask them, what is it like for you to, to be in this type of scenario? Is that okay? Okay, two minutes. Okay. Okay, let's bring it back. Okay, let's bring it back. Awesome. Okay, so for some of us in the room, perhaps um, when it comes to this particular conversation, we might think, um, why wouldn't you take the opportunity to actually um, share what you believe and to share Jesus? Um, perhaps for others of us in the room, we might stand and we might actually sympathize with those who said that I would lie or I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing it. And listening to this podcast and um, just having a personal conversation with some of my friends and even an internal dialogue that I've been having with myself is that I've noticed there's like a common thread between all of it. And the common thread is a fear of persecution. And if I was to define persecution, it would be this. Hostility and ill treatment, especially because of a race or political or religious beliefs. And the Cambridge Dictionary, you know, sometimes switch it up, not everyday Oxford, um, said unfair or cruel treatment over a long period of time because of race, religion, or political beliefs. Persecution is not a new thing, as many of us would know. And there are several historical accounts of people who have been persecuted because of their beliefs on an array of issues and stuff like that. And the Bible actually also documents times of when people for their beliefs were persecuted. So we're going to quickly look into the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So let's turn to Daniel 3. And when you're there, say, oh yeah. Are you there? Are you just saying it? <laughs> Okay, after three, two, one, everyone, oh yeah? Okay, three, two, one. Beautiful. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the, provi in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, um, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial um, officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. There he heard the herald, which is a messenger, loudly proclaim nations and people of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flutes, scyther, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. I'm just going to pause there. So essentially what happened is that King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he's installing a new social norm. 
He was like, essentially, if we were to paint the backdrop, is, okay, there might be a load of people who believe a whole different things, or they might believe in different God, but right now we're going to set, install a whole new social norm, and when the music plays, when the music plays, then people have to, you know, basically um, break it down low, and they have to bow down to, to the... <laughs> Boy, I should have thought that... <laughs> Well, but basically, they just have to, like, yeah, bow down to the gold statue. Verse 7. <laughs> Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, cypher, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, or da 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 and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing and furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so people who had status, who ha pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I have set up? Now when they heard now when you hear the music of this of the of the horn, flute, cipher, lyre, harp, and pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, then you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace that the God then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. So essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them, and he's saying that if you do not conform to my new social norm, if you do not bow down to this new idol that I've put into place, then you will be persecuted. I will throw you into the fire. This wasn't an issue of, before I do so, let's talk it out. Let me see where you stand on this particular thing. No, it was, I will throw you into the fire, and we'll see how God can rescue you. Because he obviously would have known that they believe in a God. But perhaps, you know, he was even saying that this God is even a figment of your imagination. Let's see if your God is strong enough to actually step into your situation if you're just burned by the ashes. So 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is about to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Then, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude changed towards them. He, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, and turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the burning furnace. 
The king's command was so urgent that the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I can see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of, like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes was not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Almost there. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other god except their god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any, of any nation or language who say anything against Shadrach, against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to p- into pieces and the houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went from being persecuted and a god ridiculed to being saved and a god being praised. And there's times, as we know as this, that when you stand for your faith, when you actually stand for what you believe in, and when you, feel, when you obey what you feel like God is calling you to do, you might actually seem ridiculous. But there's times when God steps into that situation and he liberates you. He changes the situation upside down. And where even these skeptics actually became fans of the Most High God. They were like, wow, this God, essentially, that we once ridiculed, we are once we are now impressed by him. They, the Bible talks about how they crowded around them. And this actually does happen when God actually steps into our situations of persecution. But my question is, what happens when that's not always the case? And um, in a bit, we're going to watch a video um, from Open Hands. And Open Hands um, is a charity um, that basically helps to, yeah, helps um, Christians who are being persecuted all over the world. So I'm going to paint some more of a picture after the video. For over 25 years, Open Doors has been producing the World Watch List, which ranks the top 50 countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian. The list is compiled by a group of experts, audited by an outside organisation specialising in religious freedom, and is the best and most authoritative list of its kind. Through on-the-ground interviews and data analysis, It provides an accurate picture of the difficulties persecuted Christians face around the world. For each country, the list looks at a variety of factors persecuted Christians endure in their public and private lives, such as persecution from the government, the community, and even from their own families. Open Doors estimates that in the top 50 countries alone, 245 million believers face intimidation, 
prison, and even death. That is one in nine Christians worldwide. But the list is not just numbers and figures. It represents those who have decided to follow Jesus no matter the cost. We believe there is only one body of Christ, and when one part suffers, every part suffers. We hope you feel called to learn more and pray for the millions of believers around the world where persecution is a daily reality. So I'm going to read an article um, that Open Doors released about the persecuted church in North Korea. They said, for three generations, everything in this isolated country has focused on idolizing the leading Kim family. Christians are seen as hostile elements in society that must be eradicated. There was hope that the new diplomatic efforts in 2018, including the 2018 Winter Olympics, would mean a lesson of pressure and violence against Christians. But so far, there has, this has not been the case. In fact, reports indicate that local authorities are increasing incentives for anyone who exposes a Christian in their community. If Christians are discovered, not only would they be deported, um, deported to labor, to labor camps, or even killed on the spot, their families to the fourth generation also wish to meet other Christians for worship is too risky and must be done in the utmost secrecy. Yet, Open Doors estimates the number of Christians in North Korea to be a few hundred thousand strong, believers who are defying the unjust regime and following Jesus. And if I was just to read a few more examples of persecution that some of our brothers and sisters are encountering all over the world. Earlier this year, two Nigerian evangelicals were, execu um, was, were executed by Boko Haram in a video. Christians are imprisoned and dying in shipping containers in Eritrea. A woman in India watched her sister dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister is dead or alive. A man in North Korea, a man in a North Korean prison camp was shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. Another woman in Nigeria ran for her life. She escaped from Boko Haram, who kidnapped her. She's pregnant and her community rejected her and her baby. A group of children were laughing and talking as they came back to their church sanctuary after eating together. Instantly, many of them were killed by a bomb blast on Easter Sunday. And earlier this week, I was actually listening to a podcast um, by Open Doors. And a Western uh, missionary, like someone who's from the UK, um, for example, um, said to a Chinese pastor that he was visiting um, in his area. And he said, how can I pray for you? And the guy thought about it. He really took some time. And after an awkward silence, the guy said this, pray that persecution never leaves China. And the Western missionary was like, that's ridiculous. Like, surely I should pray that, you know, Christians in this country um, should stop being persecuted. And he was like, no. Because he says, when I look at countries like the UK or Australia, I see as a prophetic sign of what could happen if our faith is free. If our faith does not cost us anything. And he said that when that happens, the value of Jesus drops. So th the Western missionary was obviously very convicted by his statement and he said, actually, could you pray for me? And the Chinese pastor laid a hand on him and said, I pray that you be persecuted. 
<laughs> and in Acts, the Christians um, in Jerusalem were, they used to meet in a big gathering, but they were being persecuted. And as a result, they had to split up. Um, in they had to split up and they were scattered all over the place. And they had to meet in communities very much like our crews, which would be our small groups. And because they split up, some went to um, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, sharing the good news with Jews and Greeks, and saw so many converts there. And I'm not necessarily saying that we need to pray for persecution. I'm not saying that's what we need to pray for. But what I'm saying is that there's a level of boldness when someone's life is on the line for their faith. And for us, in our context, it might not necessarily be sacrificing our lives, but it will mean something like this. Are we willing to sacrifice our reputation? Are we willing to sacrifice our likability and maybe even our relatability? Where we see people not knowing Jesus as a greater heartache than being liked. And if I was to go back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said this, that my sisters always shake at me because I always say profound, um, but it is profound. But they said this, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I'll read that last part again. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So they were willing to die for their faith, even if God was going to step into their situation or not. They were like, do you know what? We will still not bow down to the idol that you put in front of us. They love the Lord more than life themselves, more than the accolades, more than their status, more than their success, more than their comfort, and more than their reputation. And the question is, do we? For some of us, for some of us, um, perhaps we are um, in, a in a similar situation that Peter actually faced, where behind closed doors, behind church, maybe in our crews, we are ride or die Christians. We're like, yeah, Jesus, you are, you are my everything. But like Peter, the minute the crowd is too big or the stake is too high, we are no longer affiliated with Jesus. And perhaps we might feel like, okay, but surely God must understand, you know, if the stakes are too high, if, you know, God, this is my life, this is my career, this is my relationship, I have to deny you in order to survive. Surely you don't want me to be persecuted. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, let's turn there, actually. Yeah, Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12 says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because you're great, because your great is your reward in heaven. 
for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And let's turn to First Peter chapter 4, verse 14. It says this, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of God um, for the spirit of God and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So Jesus' perspective is this. If you are persecuted for me, there is a reward. It is worth it. He says to persecution, you are blessed. You are blessed when you are persecuted. And if we were to turn to Acts 7, verse 54, just to paint more of a picture. It's about the stoning of Stephen. So let me give some context. So Stephen was a believer, and he had just finished giving perhaps, you know, the sermon and the message of his life. It was very lengthy, and it was a sermon that was so triggering, that was so convicting, that had so much wisdom and passion. And in verse 54, the story continues. When the members of the Sanhedrin, which are the Jewish priests and the Jewish rabbis, heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the young feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin, their sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So essentially, when the Bible says fell asleep, he died. So whilst they were stoning him, Stephen had a vision of Jesus. And Stephen's reality was more fixed on Jesus and his kingdom and what was happened to him in that moment. And rightly so, because the Bible talks about how this world will fade away, but the only kingdom that will stand is the kingdom of God. That there's empires that have come throughout history, different organizations, different industries have come and gone, but the only one that stands until today is the kingdom of God. And if I was to quickly read um, a quote from Second Corinthians, it says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So God doesn't promise that persecution and misunderstanding will never occur. But what he does promise is that it will be worth it in the long run. And I feel for some of us, we actually need to make a decision that whether this is a faith that I believe where I'm ready to lose everything. And I'm saying this, it probably will not happen in the UK where we don't know what could happen. 
but it's so important to have a heart posture that says that Jesus, I am ready to lose everything and to gain everything in you. And I was meeting with one of my friends. Um, he is a young adults pastor in North Finchley, and I was um, we was was speaking. And uh, he basically asked me. He said, um, "What are you talking about on Sunday?" And I said, "Oh, I'm talking about persecution." And I was like, "Ooh," I was like, "Okay, I'll be listening in." Um, and I literally just took a deep breath, and I was like. I love Jesus, I really do love Jesus, but sometimes it's really hard to live for him. That um, it's not easy, but it is so worth it at the end of the day. And the reason why I share this story is because um, most of you guys will know that I recently just moved um, from Leicester. And I also have like a Christian um, passion line as well. And um, God has given me a new concept of like of, of, of a second line. And it's actually called Jesus is Lord, not because of Kanye. I didn't plagiarize from him. I don't know if you can plagiarize Kanye, but still, I had it before Kanye released anything. Uh, but it was called Jesus is Lord. Um, and um, when, I, when I started getting like the downloads of some of the designs, um, I literally said to God, there's no way um, that I can do this. I was like, I'm in London now. I have to be politically correct. I can't just wear a shirt that says Jesus is Lord um, on the underground, like, are you crazy and stuff? Um, and I really just, I remember saying this to the Lord, um, and I noticed that just in terms of my faith, when I started giving into um, suppressing my faith um, and not doing anything that's perhaps um, too, too out there, and just kind of like adapting um, to the social norms of, of London or of the UK and um, just started suppressing my faith. I noticed that um, my faith in God and even my joy in God was slowly eroding. And that's what actually happens when you continue to bow down to society's idols, that your faith is not left the same. It's gently eroded until unfortunately where it actually, it does not stand on anything. And if I'm being honest, um, for some of us, it will never look like the persecution that some of our brothers and sisters are going through all over the world. Um, for some of us, the persecution will not actually be that deep. For some of us, it might be very extreme. But my petition and my prayer is that despite the temptation to bow down to the world's idols, is to continue to be faithful to the end. 